Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Always a little bit of drama time. Just part of it time. You're at Tennessee. Is it ever going to be smooth time? Probably not time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Monday evening. Going to also drop this to you on a Monday evening. Hope your weekend was good. Maybe not such a great weekend for the Tennessee basketball team. We will have more to discuss on that here in the second segment of this episode. We're going to do another one of these dual sport ones. So wherever you are, whatever time of day it is, we're happy that you're spending part of it with us here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. As I mentioned a moment ago, we are going to get to basketball in the second segment, talk about the ninth-ranked balls and what's going on this week. Before that, though, uh, we're going to go with football here in the first segment. To do that, I'm going to bring in co-worker Ryan Callahan. It's going to be Grant Ramey in the second segment, and then it's going to be uh, Ryan Callahan here in the first segment. So, Ryan, what's up, man? Hey, Wes. How's it going, man? It goes. It goes. Dropping this pod a little later than we wanted to on a Monday, but, uh, you know, we, we, we got things going on. Think Things are happening. Things are happening. It's a busy world out there. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Guys, there is some news out here, as I think I just put away the note card that I was going to mention some things off of. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about right now um, in some ways. In some ways, there's a lot to talk about. In some ways, there's not a lot to talk about because what there is a lot of is speculation. Uh, Tennessee, uh, the latest that that we have heard um, officially on any kind of record is that uh, that Jeremy Pruitt is still Tennessee's football coach and that Philip Fulmer, the athletic director at Tennessee, wants Jeremy Pruitt to continue being the football coach for next season. That was based off of a news release that we heard uh, going into when Tennessee thought it was going to play down there in the, the, the bowl game down there in Memphis. And so that's what we've had recently. Now, until then, uh, uh, I guess I should say since then, there's been a lot going on, a lot of speculation, Ryan. And, you know, Tennessee has not come out and, and said, I don't know that Tennessee has to come out every single day and say, Jeremy Pruitt's our football coach, Jeremy Pruitt's our football coach. But 
uh, the vacuum, it feels like there's a vacuum now. And, and when you have a vacuum, Ryan, it seems like a lot of speculation and things can start flowing in. People know that there's an NCAA, uh, I don't want to say NCAA investigation, but an, an investigation in-house into some potential NCAA stuff. Tennessee released a statement on that Monday, which was which was new. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but before that, I think something that's really interesting here is the statement that came out on Monday from the father of Tennessee freshman quarterback Harrison Bailey. And, Ryan, I got to tell you, nothing really surprises me anymore, but uh, Harrison Bailey's dad kind of came out swinging, didn't he? He did, and, and you know, not, not a shock to me because I, I knew during the recruiting process how, how big of a deal Jeremy Pruitt was and, and Harrison Bailey's original decision to commit to Tennessee way back in, in November of 2018. Uh, remember, he committed to Tennessee – right after the Vols had parted ways with Tyson Helton uh, and he went to Western Kentucky to be the head coach there. Didn't know who his offensive coordinator or position coach was going to be at that time and still picked Tennessee in late November, 2018 over, over Michigan. So he clearly had a lot of belief in Jeremy Pruitt at that time. That was always one of the keys to, to his recruitment and, and Orville Bailey, uh, Harrison Bailey's dad coming out on Twitter Monday and uh, you know, making it clear he, you know, we are, you know, Harrison is at Tennessee because he wants to play for Jeremy Pruitt. Um, so that, that was, uh, in a way, not surprising, but a very, a very bold statement of support for, for a head coach who is, you know, I, I guess you could say sort of, sort of maybe twisting in the wind or, or waiting just on some finality to this whole situation right now. And like you said, in the meantime, there's a, there's a vacuum where there's no information being released, nothing being officially discussed or announced. In the meantime, people are going to speculate. And obviously the statement that was released Monday that we'll get to in a second, it was um, kind of the first acknowledgement of it from UT that, that, you know, that obviously the reports that came out a few weeks ago had not been shot down. So we knew there was an investigation, but this was the first public acknowledgement of the investigation. And when you have something like that and people wondering what it means, you know, obviously parents of players and players are the first people involved who really want to know what's going on. So obviously a parent of a player, you know, sort of reacting, I think, to that uncertainty, I guess, and making it clear, hey, if our voices count, put, put us on the, uh, on the side that wants Jeremy Pruitt to stay. Yeah, and I think – I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think it's important to note here that, that Tennessee is not obligated to come out with a release every single day saying, by the way, Jeremy Pruitt's still the head football coach at the University of Tennessee. Just like you know, 24-7 sports doesn't have to put out a release every day saying Ryan and Grant and Pat and I have jobs at, at 24-7 sports. That's not – I mean, that, that would be silliness. Now, the issue here is that – if Tennessee wanted to control this, I, I think it could, and it's not. And, and that's – I don't want to get too far into speculation because that's not what we do uh, at 24-7 Sports, not what we do at GoVoss 24-7. But I do think it's worth noting that, that this is something that Tennessee could squash a lot of this right now if it wanted to, and I don't sense that that's happening. So very clearly something is happening. Now what is that something? To what degree it is? I don't know, and I don't want to speculate on that. But I think it's important to note here, uh, we will read this statement. It came out from Tennessee on Monday. We obtained it also at GoVols 24-7. And the statement is from Tyra Haig, I believe is the pronunciation of the last name, mm -hmm. the Director of News and Information at the University of Tennessee, uh, the Ivory Tower, not the Athletic Department. And here is her quote. We take seriously our institutional commitment to NCAA compliance and are reviewing regulatory issues that have been brought to our attention. As part of that process, we are currently working with attorneys Kyle Skillman and Michael Glazier with Bond, Shonick, and King. We will provide additional information when it's appropriate. 
So I think there's a couple things to note here. One, obviously something's happening because they're, they're putting out a statement saying something's happening. The other thing, though, and I think this is just as important, I don't know that this means everything. I don't think this necessarily means that the sky is falling. I think what Tennessee is doing here is what, honestly, it should do, is it's covering its bases. Because if there is something serious there, as in politics, as they say, if there's a there there, then you need to show the NCAA, you need to show the SEC that you are taking it seriously. Because if you want to make sure that you don't have any you know, institutional control issues or failure to monitor issues, you need to be on your P's and Q's. You need to be doing these things. And this is what athletic departments do in situations like this. To me, that means very clearly this is not just a simple everyday standard thing, but I don't think people need to assume that it means the sky is falling. I don't think that I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly we're, things are up in the air for a reason, right? I mean, that, there's a reason yeah. this thing is still hanging out there. It's because I, I don't think they've reached enough conclusions yet or, or found uh, enough, you know, evidence of wrongdoing or evidence to exonerate what, what, whatever it is on either side, they haven't and, and found this, enough. Th- this stuff could happen without anybody ever knowing anything about it. It's just sure. that the story got broken into at first uh, because in, in my opinion, there are people at Tennessee who wanted the story out there because they wanted to affect, they wanted to put their finger on the scale, which, Hey, that's, if that's how they want to do it, that's how they want to do it. That's their right. But, but I think you've seen it, Florida, you've LSU, other places, this stuff can be kept under wraps for a year or two at, at yeah. times before it ever comes to light. And so just the fact that it's happening right now is such a Tennessee thing because they're having to go through this live. And, and this is, this is what happens once the door is kicked in, you know, public scrutiny starts happening. People start asking questions. You legally can't really feel like you're comfortable answering them. And, and you're kind of in limbo when you could be doing this behind the scenes, but now you can't. Yeah. And now, now two things, I, everybody wants to know, what can we conclude from this statement? And the answer obviously is not a whole lot, right? They, they clearly chose their words carefully with this. Um, I thought it was very interesting that, that the, the statement that, that was given came uh, just from someone in the, in, you know, with the title of director of news and information, not from, not from Chancellor Donde Plowman, not from President Randy Boyd or anyone like that, who's in a, a leadership position. Uh, but, you know, just someone who, whose job it is to respond to media inquiries and those kinds of things. And I'm, I'm sure people were consulted, obviously, uh, you know, maybe even someone like Donde Plowman could have been involved in, in crafting a yeah, statement. Th- th- but th- there's no way that this gets released without, yeah. without, the, without Boyd and Plowman signing off on it. There's no sure. way. But, but very interesting to me, at least, that, that it, just, just my thoughts from looking at it was that Plowman herself did not comment on this and neither did Boyd. That Obviously, I, I think it makes sense for them to wait until there's some sort of finality to all of this, but still interesting to note uh, that they're not ready to say anything about this at all just yet. Um, also, I, I think you, it's been discussed, obviously, quite a bit over the past several days since the report surfaced of, uh, of Tennessee, you know, seeking the help of attorneys. Uh, Michael Glazier, a, a guy who's uh, re- kind of renowned in the field as maybe the, 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 the four you know, one of the leaders in the industry, essentially, in defending cases yep. or schools in these types of cases, um, in a sense, obviously, it's just, it's sort of standard operating procedure. If you're just if you're dealing with some sort of allegation like that to, to yes. look into it, this so you is can't, it, it's SOP. It's money well spent, too. Yeah. And so you have to you have to assume that it's only an allegation they're looking into it into it and that there may be nothing that comes of it. But the one thing you can conclude, I think, about the fact that they've retained attorneys like that 
um, who are, you know, at the top of their industry and, and dealing with these types of situations is whatever allegations we're talking about, it's, it, it's not just a secondary violation. It's, it's something that clearly goes above that, uh, at least the allegation uh, goes above that. It's, you know, whether it's a, a, something that could be a level one or level two or whatever violation, we don't know any details on that, obviously, but this is not something that, you know, schools investigate internally all the time into relatively minor things. And that's where you see a lot of, you know, self-reporting yeah, th- on. That's why they have compliance departments and things yeah. of that sort. Exactly. So, so if if that if this was that type of thing that would result in a secondary violation, a slap on the wrist, a, a coach losing a couple of evaluation days, or something like that, I don't think you'd be bringing in outside help. So this does tell us, I think, that there is something at least a little more serious that they are at least looking into. That doesn't mean they're going to find any evidence of wrongdoing. That doesn't mean they're going to find uh, enough to result in a coaching change. Certainly, but it does mean there's they're looking into something pretty significant. I think at least at least significant enough to warrant, you know, bringing in a, a, a leader in his industry like Michael Glazier. Sure. I'll say this, and, and this will be the end of my speculation on it, because I, I think going further than that's just silly. But but it, as someone who's been around this some of this stuff before and seen how some of these investigations go, seeing how what happens when outside help comes in, when you lawyer up, when these things happen, it, now maybe the, this is a little bit of the cynic in me, but it seems to me like in these situations what happens is something has happened, you need to find a fall guy, that fall guy needs to be the lowest person possible that you can that you can pin something on, and then that person gets to eat the crap sandwich and everybody else gets to move on. That's normally what happens. Now, whether that's fair or not, I, I don't, whatever, I don't know what's going on here. But what I know is that normally what you're trying to do, and they can't say this because they just can't, but you're trying to find if something went wrong, you want to pin it on someone who is low enough in the organization where you don't get in serious trouble as an institution. That is often what happens. Now, that can't be said because you just can't say it publicly. That's my opinion. But I think it's worth noting that something is happening, but it might not be the end of the world. It, it might be something that um, is something somewhere in between nothing and huge. There's, there's, yeah, there, it, there, there's a lot of possibilities in there, but I'm just saying I think it means clearly that there is at least something going on, as we've said from the beginning, but it may not. It might not be the end of the world. Yeah, and, and let's face it. At the end of the day, I, this this may be a, a financial decision in some ways on, on Tennessee's end. I, I think there clearly, as we saw from fans at the end of the season, there are clearly some people who aren't sure about Jeremy Pruitt as the long-term answer oh, sure, as Tennessee's tons. football coach. There are lots so of those people, I, yes. So I think there are very clearly very divided opinions among donors, among key administrators, things like that, uh, about whether Tennessee should move on. But at the end of the day, the question is, are they willing to pull the trigger on a nearly $13 million buyout for Jeremy Pruitt and buying out the rest of his staff uh, that you would assume would not stick around uh, with maybe one or two exceptions, you know, I think a guy like Jay Graham or someone like that could maybe stick around. Or, so you might you know, have to buy out the even entire Cheney, staff. Even Cheney, depending on who the head coach was. Yeah, potentially. Him. Yeah, and in the right situation. So you might have one or two holdovers, but you're buying out most of the staff too. So the buyouts, you're, you're looking at well over $15 million to buy out the entire staff. I, I think part. I think you're looking at, at, at something like 17 and a half or something yeah. like that. Now, now that could be maybe offset in some cases by what some of the assistant coaches would make. But you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of a maximum of about $18 million or so. And then if you wanted to, to lop Philip Fulmer on top of that, that's another four-plus million dollars. So you're looking at an expensive proposition if you want to do this. Because I don't think this investigation – I don't think it will uncover anything that will go directly to Jeremy Pruitt. 
uh, which means that it would be hard to fire him with cause. So that's kind of where they are. And, and I think, Ryan, the, the bottom line is here is there's a lot of things that we're not comfortable speculating about, but there are some things that are just common sense, just common sense. And I think in the next week or so, maybe two weeks, but perhaps even by this week, common sense will show us in some cases where this thing is going. What do I mean by that? I mean very simply that right now Tennessee has two vacancies, I believe two vacancies on its coaching staff, defensive Mm -hmm. line coach and offensive line coach. Those are positions that Tennessee either needs to promote from within or it needs to hire somebody. It needs to fill those positions. Normally, you would have either tried to make these by now, now that college football, except for two teams, they're done for the season. You would normally want to try to do it in the next couple weeks if you could. Now, maybe you would have to wait traditionally until after the the, the regular old school signing period, whatever, perhaps. But you would like to fill it as soon as you possibly could. And right now, uh, if Tennessee is able to go out there and hire at least one of those vacancies this week, that would perhaps be an indication that Jeremy Pruitt's still going to be the head football coach. They feel like they're moving forward with him, and they're going to let him pick some staffers. If these positions are not filled, though, then that will really lead the speculation going forward as to are they allowing Pruitt to make these hires? Because normally Pruitt's a guy who's connected well enough in the business where he could people know him, people would come to work for him. They've shown they'll do that before. He'll pay them, and they'll go work for him. So even though he's in a tough situation, they might, he might have to pay a little bit overvalue to get them, perhaps, but he could get them. If he cannot do that, Ryan, in the next week or two, doesn't that perhaps say something? I, I think so. My, my thought going into this week, because you've had the holidays, obviously, I think there's, there's still been some activity going on with this, maybe over the holidays, but not a ton or not as much as you would normally have because you had, you had the, Chris, the week leading up to Christmas, you had the week leading up to New Year's Day. It, it, this Monday was kind of the first day things were sort of back to normal on campus in a lot of ways. So I thought this week we would sort of get some sense of where this was headed uh, by the end of the week. And, and maybe this statement that was released Monday is all we'll get this week. But like you said, if that, if that statement is accompanied by silence on the front of Tennessee uh, hiring a, a new assistant coach or two, uh, that that could be an, a, a stronger indication that things are very much still on hold. Now, um, now I, it, it could be an indication that they're just having a hard time getting the coaches they want, but it sure. also could mean that, right. that they're not able, that they're not giving him the ability to make the hire right now. Yeah. And, and, and let's face it. One, one of the names we've known that's been out, I mean, D- Jeremy Pruitt's known his defensive line coach position has been open for almost three months now. Yes. <laughs> he's, yes. he's wanting to make a move on that. I'm sure. Uh, and one of the names that's been out there for a long time is Bo Davis uh, with the Detroit Lions, uh, who, who's well-regarded in the college ranks. He's going to have a, a few good choices probably in the SEC and, and probably elsewhere if he decides to come back to college. But the, the NFL season just ended. The, the Lions are finished as of Sunday, so he can now start to make a move on that yeah, if he cause, wants cause to. Yeah, because this was Black Monday in the NFL world. So Yeah, yeah so that that's something he can look into now, and, and you would think this week is when – he's going to really start considering where he wants to go. And if, if Tennessee is going to try to hire him, you would think uh, that that's the one where there could be some movement this week. If we don't see anything there, or if he takes a job at another school, you know, maybe that wouldn't give us anything conclusive, but it, it certainly could indicate that there's at least a, a hold up there. So that's, that's going to be something to watch. But yeah, th- this statement on Monday was at least a, a significant indication because it's at least an acknowledgement. There's still, you know, I think people were wondering in some cases, is the investigation wrapped up and there's still, in the decision-making process, this lets us know 
they are still investigating. This is still on, in the works. And, and obviously the big question is how long does this drag out before we get a final answer? And, and unfortunately we don't know the answer to that. It could be another few days. It could be another few weeks. I, I don't know that it would go beyond this month or anything like that, but we just don't know at this well, point. Yeah, and I'm not sure Tennessee knows. Cause they've kind of boxed themselves in here because of the timing, because again, this thing getting public changes the entire thing. It just yep. does. And, and, and so Sometimes you could take weeks or even months on these kinds of things if you want to really do all your homework. You want to make sure you get everybody to talk to. You want to make sure you get all the facts. You, you know, normally you'd like to take as much time as you could to get this thing right. However, now this thing is out there now. You're trying to recruit now. You're trying to do a lot of things with the public microscope zoomed in on you. So you're kind of being hurried here. The, the, this thing is kind of, it, it's not like it's out of your control now, but not, it's not as much in your control as you would like it to be, in my opinion. So yeah. that's where they are now. We're going to learn a lot more over the next couple of weeks. Again, we're not trying to tease anyone. We're not trying to say, hey, stick with us. You know, hey, we're going to tell you what's going on eventually. We're, we're telling you what we know. And what yep. we know right now is that there is a lot of speculation and all we can do is try to narrow that thing down into some speculation that's actually logical and makes common sense. That's what, at least from my side, that's what I'm trying to do right now. I'm trying to take a complicated issue and without making too much of it, tell you sort of what's going on. So that's where things are. Before we step out of here for for the break, uh, do need some actual team news to mention. We did mention, I believe, in the previous podcast. They kind of all run together. But I'm pretty sure we've discussed DeAndre Johnson, Tennessee's sack leader, going into the portal, needing to go back home, closer to home for family reasons. And as we told you, he was probably going to go back home. We said that from the very beginning. We said that through this whole thing. And he is, in fact, going home. He is going to go play for the Miami Hurricanes in a move that Ryan, I think, knowing his family situation and what he's trying to, to get closer to home, I think that makes a lot of sense for him and for Miami. It, it does. Uh, you know, we, we heard there was some some COVID issues in his family that, yes. that uh, you know, obviously made getting back closer to home make a lot of sense for him. So it, it's it's a blow for Tennessee. I mean, there's no way around it. Sure, uh, sure. That, that's not a position where they're really loaded and not, you know, obviously having to dismiss Kevon Bennett before the end of the season added to the importance, in, in my opinion, of bringing, you know, we talked at one point during the season about which seniors they really could use uh, to, to have back next year and, and Johnson was one of those guys we talked about oh, so yeah. oh yeah this this uh, this just ups the pressure on uh you know a guy like uh obviously Tyler Barron who played a lot this year as a true freshman um they, they've got to have some some of those guys ready to step in that are that are younger guys Roman, uh, Roman Harrison yeah, Ro- Ro- yeah uh Byron Young the junior college signee and, and Dylan Brooks uh that, that's now officially signed you know that, that's happened I guess since our uh, around the time of our last podcast, you know, getting him officially announced as a signee, you know, those guys need to come in and help you. you that, that's a position where Tennessee really needs to bring in somebody from, uh, from the transfer portal, frankly. I think this, there's a need for more transfer help now that you've lost a guy like DeAndre Johnson. But, yeah, that, that destination makes sense, obviously. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Tennessee fans are, uh, are, are, are hating even more now that he's, you know, you lose a guy like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe you think if he, if he transfers down to, to, to a different level, maybe you feel differently about it. But, you know, I'm sure Tennessee fans look at this and see he's transferring to another major program. That's that's a sign that obviously they they think he can help. And, and oh, yeah, we, we yeah. knew we knew what Tennessee had in DeAndre Johnson, but it's further 
further validation of kind of the talent he has and what he's proven so far in his career. So, uh, you know, best of luck to him at Miami. And I'm, I'm sure he'll have a, a pretty good opportunity to step in there and, and help uh, with his one remaining year of eligibility. Yeah, if you watch their defense, he'll definitely have a chance to step in and play. Oh, yeah. Their defense has been abysmal for the past uh, past several weeks, at least. They've had some real issues down the stretch there. Um, but I think, there, as we said from the beginning, there was a lot going on there with the family, and this was a different transfer from some of the others. Some of the others were a clear desire for playing time, a clear desire for a fresh start. I think this one was more of a family need than anything else because I don't think he had a huge problem with being at Tennessee or playing for this staff. So I, I think there's good luck to him. Uh, I think that's just you know family first. I think everyone should understand that. Ryan, before we step out, very last thing. Um, this has been a, a lot of – you know, a lot of crummy news, a lot of speculation. And then in the second segment, we got to talk about a basketball team that just lost. They're still top 10, but they, you know, lost. And so there's a lot of, lot of, lot of bad stuff in this episode and a lot of, lot of questions. But here is something good. Uh, we do have something good to tell you. Valus Jones Jr. is coming back for another senior season at Tennessee. He announced that on Monday. And I think it's just, I mean, I don't want to say it's just the biggest news in the world, Ryan, but I think it's really big news for Tennessee. I think it is too. I think obviously we saw Valus Jones Jr. Re, you know emerge as as one of this team's best playmakers, frankly, down the stretch. And, and his season numbers did not end up being huge, uh, but when you look at, at his at his body of work toward the end of the season, uh, I, I think it's it's pretty easy to envision him being one of this team's top options in the passing game again next year. Um, Harrison Bailey and J.T. Shrout seem to find him a good bit down the stretch in those final three games, and uh, you know he. he he started to settle in, you know, we, we talked about that toward the end of the season too, but you know, a guy that didn't have a normal off season after he, after he decided to transfer to Tennessee, you know, didn't have a, a great opportunity to, to get up to speed before the season started. It, it maybe took him half or two thirds of the season to really get in a rhythm. And once he did, you know, he started to show that he is a real playmaker and a guy, you know, that's, that's a reason that T Martin wanted to bring him in from USC, knowing what he had worked with uh, or seen when he worked with him there at USC. So, uh, it, it's a it's a big deal to, for Tennessee to get get back a guy like that. You know, you're already losing Brandon Johnson, an experienced guy who'd played a lot of football at Tennessee. He, he's in the transfer portal. Josh Palmer looks like he's headed to the NFL draft. So with those two guys out of the equation, that this gives you a veteran guy to build around. A six year senior he'll be now. Um, so clearly a, a, a big help there, experience wise, if nothing else. And even with him back. You know, Tennessee needs Jalen Hyatt to step forward and be a starter next year or not, someone else not, like not, that. Not just a starter, but a star. I think Tennessee needs Jalen yeah. Hyatt to be a I, – I, I think they don't just need him to be good. They need Jalen Hyatt to be great. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him, and there's no way around it. There, there will be. And, uh, and they need another freshman or young guy to step forward, frankly, to, to provide additional help there. Just to have your three – you know, you essentially have three starters at receiver in most, most offenses these days. They, they still need a third one to emerge, even with Hyatt and Valus Jones. So uh, – the Things are, are, are still it, – it's still a position Tennessee needs to address, even with Velas Jones back. If they had not gotten him back, it would have really been a position that I think they had to address in the transfer portal. And even now we've seen Tennessee hand out an offer Monday to Jamarie Joyner, uh, an Arizona receiver who's in the transfer portal. So that still might be a position Tennessee further addresses. There's really only one, maybe two, depending on whether Julian Nixon is a receiver, only one or two receivers in this 2021 class for Tennessee. So numbers-wise, you need some depth there. And, again, you need some – experienced, proven options. Bayless Jones at least gives you one to build around, as we saw toward the end of the season. 
he's someone who can really help them next year, I think. Yeah, I think Tennessee's got to go to the portal, I think, for one. I, I think now, mm-hmm. even even with Jones coming back, and I know you got other needs there, you know, you got quarterback, you got tight end, you got, you know, certainly edge rusher with a, you know, you put eight exclamation marks on that. That's how important that is for them. So there's a handful of positions where they need some help. But I think if, if you could add a – if you could add a, a guy like that in the, in the portal, I think that would be that would be good for Tennessee. There's certainly a lot to a lot to talk about, and, and really over the next few weeks, certainly going into the the classic signing day, then going into sort of the portal madness that's going to go on. Uh, I guess really heavily the next couple of weeks while while you're waiting on you know January uh, semesters to start. I think Tennessee yep. it starts on the I think Tennessee starts on January 20th, and football workouts start on the 22nd. So you're gonna if you're going to see them go get some guys, you're going to you're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. I mean, this is for 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 random January. Uh, this is this is a really important couple of weeks for Tennessee football. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, and some of it's going to be good news. Some of it probably won't be good news, and uh, we'll try to break it down. Ryan, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, no, I, I was just going to say I, I do think you know not every spot that Tennessee tries to fill with a transfer has to be done uh, this month, but that correct, is one of the interesting, correct, interesting correct. things about this. You know. And certainly some schools, I think, are waiting around. So you may see some guys wait beyond signing day. They're waiting to see how many spots they'll have left after signing day before they commit to transfers. But, yeah, there are some guys who would like to transfer this month, and that's another reason this sort of limbo uh, that Tennessee's in with this football staff and program sort of it complicates things, and it may hurt them in, in, in the pursuit of a transfer or two. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But, yeah, at least the next couple of weeks, that's something to keep an eye on is can they get – any transfers during this period, and, and how will that go? Yeah, I'll say I'll say this really quickly in twenty seconds or less. To give you some perspective, last season Tennessee, the original plan before the pandemic happened was Tennessee wanted to get through spring practice with the quarterbacks to see exactly what they had, and then see if they needed to go into the portal and get a quarterback. So you can also go through spring practice and see what you have, and then try to add. You know, maybe somebody else loses their job in the spring or they give it one more shot and it doesn't work. So you'll see some some movement after the spring also. But um, for now, Definitely. for now, I think for the next couple of weeks, you're also going to see some. So here's what we're going to do, guys. To, Ryan, oh, go ahead. Well, as I say, to, and to that point, you know, like you said, some guys will see how their own spring practices go before they decide to enter the portal. That's another reason to wait. Also, I'm sure some people will wonder because the name was out there. Eric Gilbert, the former the or the LSU tight end freshman, former five-star prospect who's a former high school teammate of Harrison Bailey. You, you probably saw some tweets over the weekend that were uh, from Gilbert announcing that he's headed to the transfer portal. Then he deleted it. Then Harrison Bailey uh, retweeted Gilbert saying he's entering the portal and said, let's, uh, let, let's uh, run it back, uh, you know, team up again. And uh, they, he deleted that, I think. So uh, there's been some chatter, obviously, about that. The official word right now is he has yet to officially enter the transfer portal. So that's obviously a big name we'll continue to monitor, but that's a very fluid situation. Not sure what's going to happen there yet, but that's obviously one where even if he does transfer, not sure when it would happen, but he has not officially entered the transfer portal yet. So that's still something to, to keep an eye on in the coming days and maybe weeks. Going to be a lot of people chasing Charleston Rambo too, uh, the Oklahoma star yeah. wide receiver who has gone into the portal. So there's tons of stuff to talk about there, um, but we are out of time in this segment, guys. We're, we're past due for a break. We, we got to go to one now. So what we're going to do is we're going to thank Ryan for his time. So thank you, Ryan. Absolutely. Thanks, Wes. And then we're going to step away for a quick break, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, and other fun things. And we will come back to talk um, a sunnier subject in general, maybe not in the here and now, but in general, a sunnier subject, which is Tennessee Vols basketball here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Joined now by Grant Ramey from the Go Vols Blunt, Blunt County 24-7 satellite office. I think I said that wrong. Let's try that again. Grant Ramey from the Govals 24-7 Blount County Satellite Office. What's up, Grant? There's no right and wrong. It's your show. You can throw it out there however you want to say it. It's our show, man. Make up names, whatever. It's our show. You're keeping the train on the tracks, so you determine what those tracks are. You know how many people would listen to a podcast called the West Rucker Podcast? Zero. Actually, no one. My mother, maybe. I think my mother would be the only one who would do that, or at least she would lie to me and tell me that she did. Uh, but before we talk a little Tennessee hoops here, I want to throw out a couple quick reminders. Guys, take just a minute out of your day. Please, please hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Please rate and review this podcast, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. But one thing that really, really helps us out is if you go in there and not only rate, but review this podcast. That helps us out a lot. That that helps us with the algorithms, gets everybody in there, gets everybody uh, listening to this. And I, I, I can see the numbers again, just our year-over-year numbers uh, from, from this past year to the year before. It was just crazy how much this thing is growing, and we're so, so appreciative of, of everybody for helping us do that. Uh, but the one thing you can do uh, to, to keep growing that even more is going in there and rating and reviewing this podcast, telling us what you like, what you don't like, and uh, we can go from there. Grant, speaking of things that uh, we don't like, or at least Tennessee fans don't like, uh, the Vols, after steamrolling uh, a good portion of the opposition heading into Saturday's game against Alabama, uh, took one on the chin a little bit, lost 71-63, an upset loss to the Crimson Tide. Uh, Ninth-year Alabama senior John Petty did what he always does in Thompson Bowling Arena. Nine? Yeah, it's, it seems like something like that. Yeah, he uh, he, he sort of lit up Tennessee there. Uh, the Vols had a kind of an, an erratic but not, not completely terrible first half. Uh, Jaden Springer goes down with an ankle injury. Eve Pond's in foul trouble. Uh, then Rick Barnes gets a mysterious technical foul that I'm sure we'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, but anyways, that happened in the final 30 seconds or so. Bama hits two free throws, takes a two-point lead into the break at halftime. Uh, and then after that, just the bottom kind of fell out in the first five or six minutes of the second half. Uh, still with no Springer out there to help Tennessee respond. Bama uh, goes on a tear, hits five consecutive three-pointers, builds a 14-point lead, and then Tennessee sort of scraps to get back into the thing but but never has enough to to get over the top. And Grant, before we talk about some specifics from that game, just kind of a surprise, right? I mean, I, I don't know that we're going to sit here and say it's the biggest shock that's ever happened. This is basketball. Teams lose. Um, but that that wasn't necessarily one I, I thought Tennessee would lose. No, it's, it's a surprise because that's a team that lost to Western Kentucky on its home floor. That's a team that lost to Stanford by 18 in 
the Maui Invitational that was played in Nashville. That was a team that's, you know, they were, I think, six and three entering that game. They had some bad losses. So that's a team you should be, especially at home, especially the way you looked Wednesday uh, at Missouri, the way you came out. Fast starts were the, the theme for this team through the first seven games, obviously, and then that didn't happen Saturday. And, I mean, you can go back to the podcast we recorded previously. I don't even remember what day that was. Um, and we talked about it doesn't really matter who the head coaches are or who the players are or what's going on with either program. It just seems like Alabama is a very pesky, I don't know, pestilent program for Tennessee, a, yeah. a thorn in their side. I mean, Alabama's, they've got talent, obviously. You, you saw it on the floor there. Primo, John Petty. Uh, Quinterly, yeah. Uh, yeah, Quinterly. I mean, you can go down the list. They've got good players. But that's a game that, you know, Tennessee shoots 31% from the field. They shoot 19% from uh, the three-point line. They miss nine free throws in an eight-point loss, which is obviously going to hurt you a ton. You lose a guy, Jaden Springer, who their offense was struggling, and they needed a guy that kind of does what Springer does. He's aggressive, is going to be the guy that goes and tries to get something on his own if nothing else is working. They obviously missed him. I think they relied on him a little bit more than – uh, even I kind of acknowledged through seven games, but you know, yeah, it's basketball. You're going to lose games. That's an ugly one, but I guess it's better to do it now than later. I mean, if you can learn from this game, maybe it's something where it helps you down the in the long run. I mean, obviously this team, the teams they've had successful for whatever reason, they've had trouble with Alabama in the past. I mean, the 17, 18 team, remember they went down to Alabama. We talked about the other day and lost by 28. John Petty really should have beat Tennessee in Knoxville a few years ago. Yep when he went off for 30 and he got whistled for a pretty bad kind of questionable walk there late in the game. So it's just kind of, that's been the series is it's just been tough on Tennessee. Yeah. And, and I think that there were a couple things in that game that, that felt flukish, you know, I, I think Tennessee, you know, say what you will about John Fulkerson. He, he's not normally going to go three for eight from the free throw line. That's just kind of a fluke. Uh, I think when you look at the quality of the shots, Tennessee got, I, I think even in, you know, even if they were never quite, seamlessly running their offense in that game even if things never quite felt completely smooth I, I didn't I didn't hate most of the shots they got they just didn't go in and you could tell kind of early on Fulkerson missed a couple shots there around the paint you know Pons missed a couple um, you know I think I forget who it was it's either Viscovi or Bailey I think Bailey who drove to the layup had what I thought was a, a pretty pretty clean look at the, the rim there from just a couple feet and just it just didn't go in and from there, you could kind of get the sense that, that Tennessee just was not going to have a great shooting night. Normally, when you play defense the way Tennessee plays defense, that means you can still be okay. And and, and honestly, I, I think Tennessee still could have been. It's just that the problem is, uh, and I said this going into the game, uh, Alabama shoots a metric butt-ton of threes. You know, it, it only shot 20 in that game, which is you know 11 or 12 less than usual, uh, but still a team that's a high-volume shooter from three-point range. And when you play a team like that, I kind of look at it like a hand grenade that you just want to take and throw to a different arena before it blows up in your own. And it just it kind of blew up on Tennessee there for a minute. Basketball is a weird game. Uh, Bama got some momentum, which is you know Tennessee's fault. They gave the tide confidence, and then boom, 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 five three pointers there. And when you see kind of a little onslaught like that. I think it's a credit to Tennessee that they kind of got back in the game a little bit because at that point, and, I, and I'm not sugarcoating the loss because it's it's not a good loss, but I, I think there were some things in that game that were just a little bit flukish. You know, th that's a game that if Springer plays, I think he gets a lot of points because that's an open, wide open kind of game. Bama's not 
great defensively, just okay. Uh, Fulkerson just was not having it. Josiah Jordan-James just did not want to shoot the ball, really, didn't want to get going. Bailey and Vescovi uh, had a couple of shots that normally they make and didn't go down. Just a lot of things, Barnes technical, just a lot of things kind of came together. And that's why I'm inclined to believe it was just sort of one of those nights. But it's too early to say that, right? I mean, Arkansas Wednesday is going to be a really good test of what this was. I mean, is this a sign of bad things to come or is it a little bit of a wake-up call? I mean, obviously, the first month of the season, it was there was so much praise around this team, and that didn't come out in there. They, they played to a level where they earned that kind of praise, and everybody was calling them kind of that kind of upper tier of elite in the Gonzagas and the Baylors, the, that kind of conversation. And I don't, and to speak to the kind of the flukish nature, I don't know how many times in college basketball all of last season a team hit five straight threes in a three-minute stretch. I mean, whatever Alabama threw up in that minute, in that, in that span, it was going in. I mean, it was – Either Ponds it, blocked it or it went in. Right, it was unbelievable. And then even when Tennessee would, you know, get it to six, get it to seven, get it within kind of – striking distance Alabama would go down to the other end and score it'd be a corner three uh they I mean there was at one point Santiago Vescovi hit a three and before the PA announcer could say Vescovi for three Alabama had got fouled on the other end and was going to the free throw line that's how fast Alabama was answering Tennessee that's how fast Alabama was moving and that's just how it seemed like the whole afternoon was the floor was tilted towards Alabama and it was tilted against Tennessee. And a lot of that was Tennessee's doing. Uh, they, they missed a lot of bunnies. They had a lot of shots roll off the rim. They missed free throws like we talked about. Um, so they got to be better in transition defense. They got to be better perimeter defense. I mean, you don't want a blueprint on how to beat you, how to play, how to have success against you. If I'm an opponent, I'm going to look at what Alabama did and see how close I can come to doing that. Yeah. And I think I, I want to be really careful how I say this because I, I I've sort of for years, told a lot of friends in the national media, listen, I don't think any of y'all quite understand how big and how passionate Tennessee basketball's fan base is uh, because Tennessee's basketball fan base, you can look at the numbers, you can look at um, just the way that they fill that arena when they're allowed to up there near the top nationally in attendance every year, good TV ratings when they're on TV. Uh, they're, they're, a, they're a team that's got a real basketball fan base. But when you are a school that traditionally has – you know, it's traditionally thought of as a football school, I think you tend to take individual basketball losses a little too seriously. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is I think people freak out just too much. I think there are some people who just completely freak out when a team loses a basketball game. And, you know, not since Indiana a long time ago has anyone ever run the table and gone undefeated. You're going to lose games. Uh, now, Alabama at home, not one you want to lose, certainly. You know, if you're Tennessee, Alabama's a team that – you know, you see the football team, what it does every year, and you, you just think, oh, just just get these guys in basketball. And then it doesn't happen, you get frustrated. But, you know, Tennessee would have to lose, a you know, two or three straight games for me to sit here and go, something's really wrong. I, I think it's just kind of a bad night. And that sort of gets to the flukish nature of basketball in that, you know, these things are going to happen. My question is, for the big picture, you know, I got a couple of questions. One, Jaden Springer, how is he? What's going on with that with that ankle, that foot, whatever it is? Uh, how long uh, will he be sort of sidelined? What's the issue there? And the other one is this. Something's up with John Fulkerson. A- and I don't know that it needs to be a panic situation, but he's had that right wrist tape pretty heavily 
pretty much all season. He clearly heard it again in the the Missouri game, I believe it was, when he went down. Correct me if I'm wrong. It may have been the game before that. Um, yeah, because then he hit, he hit the the deep jumper moments step later. Back in the corner. Yeah, and, and but but Josiah Jordan James really hit on something after the game that I think was really important. Last season, it, toward, down the stretch, everything was kind of going through Fulkerson. They were running that inside out offense. They were doing they. Everybody knew exactly what their role was, and, and they just that that's when they kind of really got going. And now you've got a lot more options on that team. You know, you've just added. Um, just off the top, straight off the top, you, you put Victor Bailey Jr., who's a flamethrower out there uh, and, and has never seen a shot he doesn't like. And then you bring in the five-star talents like Springer and Johnson who need to get their shots, need to get their touches. And, and you you know, you got Vescovi's a year older. James has become a better shooter. And, and Pons is a guy who, you know, averaged double figures last season. So you probably start to wonder, Fulkerson's a really unselfish guy by nature. And you, I wonder if he doesn't, totally understand what his role is now and I wonder if it's that or if it's something physically that's bothering him because he clearly it was the back early in the season now it's the wrist just something seems a little off there the the three for eight from free throws and the wrist tape and and what happened in Missouri makes me wonder about the wrist and I think if that was a problem I think Rick Barnes would say it at least a little bit he wouldn't go after him the way he did after the Alabama game Saturday night saying his minutes are up for grabs he's not going to be any more productive than he was. And and I think we had these conversations last year, looking ahead to this roster when Fulke was doing what he was doing down the stretch. And we were wondering, does he kind of fall back into being the guy that kind of lets everybody else do something? Like he feels like he's, he shouldn't be the best player on the floor. I don't think he should be the best player on the floor, not in and not out for this Tennessee basketball team. There's too much talent around him, but I think he has to be the guy that when your offense is struggling, when, when, something's going against you in the game, the other team's on a run, whatever, the guy that can get you the bucket, the safety valve, get it to him in the post, and he's going to go to work and get two points. That's what Grant Williams was for two years, three years, really. That's what they're going to have to find because this offense, you've seen it. They're, they're not consistently enough, good enough shooters to they're, – they're not going to dig out of a 10-, 12-point hole just shooting the ball unless somebody's lighting it up that night. I mean, I think there's going to be more nights where they struggle shooting like they did against Alabama than nights where they light it up because even when they've had success like they did against Missouri, it was more efficient basketball. Uh, it was shooting 50% from the floor and only taking, you know, seven three-point shots in the game. So I think Fulkerson, whether he's healthy or not, he's got to be the guy that can find a way to get them a bucket when they really need a bucket. And, and he disappeared against Alabama and he can't be that guy that disappears like he did early on in his career when Grant Williams stepped up when other guys were stepping up, he's going to be one of those guys that, that can lead this team when they really need somebody to go out there and do something for them. Yeah, and I think it, it's not necessarily for me that Fulkerson sort of has to take the shot, but I think he needs to be the guy with the ball in his hands because we've said this for years about John Fulkerson. Pay zero attention to what he looks like while he's doing something and just pay attention to the result of it. He is spastic. He does some awkward things all the time. He just he's Fulky. He, he that's how you can describe him. He's Fulky. He's going to do what he does, but he usually makes good decisions with the ball. He knows when to take a shot. He knows when to draw defense and kick out to the open shooter. His basketball IQ is good. He just looks funky while he's doing it. Uh, and I think there are times where, and, and you saw this, he was struggling to guard Alabama off the bounce, and so he at times he had to come out of the game. And because because it's not they had to come back, 
but they couldn't just come back and score. They had to stop Alabama from scoring. And to do that, they felt like they had to take James and Fulkerson off the floor to play guys who could stop Alabama from scoring or, or try to. And, and, and that's a concern for me because now there's a blueprint for, for how to do some things against Tennessee. But, you know, Fulkerson, I, I don't know what it is, but, but you know, I will, I will say this. Barnes is usually pretty good about pushing the right buttons with Fulkerson. He knows when to, to push him. He knows when to prod him. He knows that Fulkerson is tough and can take it. I think if it were really an excuse that Fulkerson had, I think you're right. I think Barnes would be saying something. I think he's just challenging him, saying, listen, if you're not going to do what I want you to do, your minutes are not sacred. That's just not how it is. So I, I, I don't know if it'll happen instantly, but I think at some point – he will get what he wants out of Fulkerson because he has a track record of doing that. He 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 knows he can speak Fulky to him. He can he can get there. He can get what he needs out of him. Uh, I think it's good to see Pons do some things in that game, and I think that Pons is a guy who they needed to get going, and I think he has gotten going, and, and you've seen with and without him on the floor the difference the defense makes. I mean, in the second half, if Alabama was not making a shot, Pons, Pons was blocking it. That's right. a good sign, but – uh, and, and when Tennessee needed a bucket, when Tennessee got down by 14 points, one of the guy, the guy who I still think is probably the most natural scorer on the roster, in, in my opinion anyway, Jaden Springer was not there. Right. Have, have we heard anything? Because I've not heard much. I don't think it's like a super serious deal, but I, I, I until until we hear for sure, I guess you don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's not a ton out there, and I don't think it's super serious. And at the same time, I don't think you rush to get him back on the floor. I think you have enough depth and you have enough options that. You don't want to try to get by without him, but you can try to get by without him. And I think you want to try to fix this thing as much as you can before you get him out on the floor. I don't think you want something that's going to be um, – that's going to – you don't want to rush him back and, and make this thing last longer than it has to last. I think you want to try to get him as healthy as you can. I mean, obviously, Arkansas. Arkansas Wednesday night didn't go into Texas A&M. It's not, uh, it's not an ideal stretch, obviously. I mean, it's not going to Kentucky, and it's not you know LSU or Florida, but it's still – it's not really the two teams that you'd want to play right now. I don't think you want yeah. to play anybody without James Springer because you need somebody like him that's going to come over and try to be aggressive and try to take over on the offensive end and get his stuff like we saw in the five minutes. I mean, he checked in. I think he scored on his second possession. I think uh, he had rebounds, you know, stuff like that. He's, he's going to get in there and, and mix it up. That's what they need on the offensive end, somebody that will go and, and force the issue. So. Uh, no, I haven't heard a ton about it. I think they're fortunate that it's a Wednesday game opposed to a Tuesday game. It gives them an extra day to figure it out. Yep. But at the same time, I wouldn't be in a rush to get them out there, even though you want to get that taste out of your mouth of, of what happened Saturday. Yeah, and there are times where, you know, we said all along that this was going to be an interesting discussion when Tennessee needed a bucket, you know, who would be the guy to go get it. And you would think maybe if it was inside, you'd go to Fulkerson and let him make either the bucket or make a play for somebody. You know, Vescovi, uh, Bailey, those are guys that you know can can take some tough shots and make them. You know, Bailey's done that at Oregon, and he's got – you know, he's, he's definitely not afraid to take a shot ever for Tennessee. But but Springer, to me, is a guy who, if you just say get, you got to have one guy on the roster and you just, you just got to have a bucket, you got to have a bucket. I'm going to go with Springer because he can put it on the deck and go to the floor and, and score through traffic. So he might get you uh, to the free throw line or get you an and one, uh, but he can also create some space and step back and hit a jumper or hit a three. He's just, he, he's naturally polished more offensively. Certainly than he can Keaton. also get to the paint and draw defenders and create for his teammates and open. Yeah. Uh, we see him have six, seven assists in the game. Yeah. yeah. Right. An easy bucket for ponds, kick out for a three, whatever. I mean, that's, 
that's also what you miss. You you miss not only the, his ability to score through contact at the rim, his ability to get to the rim, his ability to hit the threes, like you said, but when he, his strength is he knows where he needs to be on the floor to be most effective, and he gets there, and he makes a play either himself or off of that positioning, and that's what is a catalyst for a lot of other success. So I think when you take that out, there's a pretty big ripple effect. You know, before we wrap this thing up by talking about Arkansas here in just a second, I got one more question uh, that I want to bring to Grant because I think it's something that we sort of probably should be discussing is, you know, Tennessee hadn't lost in a while, so you kind of forget what Rick's like when or what Barnes is like when Tennessee loses. And so so what I'm asking here is some of the comments he made after the game, uh, things about, you know, hey, Fulkerson's minutes, I'm looking at the rotation – if he's not going to do what I ask him to do, he's not going to play. Uh, talking about some things he hadn't liked lately that kind of popped up in that game with different guys. Was that Rick just being hickory mad when they lost, or do you think he really might make a, make some significant uh, tweaks to this lineup? Because I'll be honest, Grant, before I ask you for your response, I don't know. I don't know exactly because we're not around. You know, We talk to people on the phone, obviously we're around them, but you know, we're not – there as much as we normally would be. We're not seeing as much as we normally would. So I don't really know if Barnes necessarily really wants to shake things up or if he's just saying that. I, I think there's a legit shot that they could because I think they're still in a, a in an experimental phase. I mean, they've, they've had the same starting five for the first eight games. They've, they've had the first two guys come off the bench, Jaden and Keon. They've had EJ Anasicki as the first forward off the bench. Uh, but at the same time, he's talked about lineup changes throughout the year. It could be a possibility he could, you know, he could do a start, new starting five, a different rotation, a different feel to the rotation, a different order. So I think it's a legit shot because they played poorly really for the first time this season. They faced some adversity really for the first time this season, uh, and they didn't handle it well. And you you have to figure out who you can have on the floor that's going to help you win basketball games. If you know John Fulkerson, obviously meant so much to this team last year and should mean so much going forward for this team. But if he can't be productive and if he can't do what Rick wants him to do and asks him to do, he's not going to get the minutes that he's normally accustomed to. That's just the way this coaching staff handles it. I mean, they don't mince words talking to reporters. They don't mince words talking to players. Uh, and they do what they say. If they say they're going to mix it up, there's a, there's a legit possibility they're going to mix it up because I think they're still looking. They don't think they're anywhere nearly as – good as they can be even though they have looked really good at times um and there's obviously that concern that you can be as bad as you looked against Alabama at times. And, and the question is going to be there are times where you have when, when you have Fulkerson James and Vescovi all out there at the same time you wonder it, it's just a lot easier to attack Tennessee off the dribble when those three guys are out there together and, and that's something that Alabama's not going to be the the first team that's going to spread the floor and try to dribble drive and kick open for threes. I mean, this is a three and D game. It's becoming that Tennessee plays a, a more assist heavy sort of unselfish game, but a lot of people play that dribble drive, you know, drive, draw dish kind of offense stuff and spread it out five wide and or five out. And, and that's, you're going to see more people do that. Uh, and when you have Vescovi and James and Fulkerson out there together, that's three guys who you feel like, Hey, I got a pretty good chance of maybe getting at least one of these guys off the bounce. And that's why, that's why they weren't in the game at times down the stretch. They needed Vescovi for the offense. Um, but for Fulkerson and James, they didn't have them out there at times down the stretch. And I think that's probably the, the reason for that. Now, now the question is how much of a concern is that, you know, uh, can those guys, 
Um, can they prevent teams from doing that? That that's 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 the question to me because I know Springer was out, and that that's why Ticket Gaines was on the floor in the first half. But I'm also pretty darn sure a lot of that was because Barnes said, "I'm tired of these guys hitting some of these shots. I'm going to put Devonte out there because I think he can play defense, and I think that's why he did that. And maybe that doesn't happen if Springer's healthy, but I think that shows you again that he's not opposed. I mean, he put Pember out there for a while, which I still, right. for the life of me. I like Drew Pember. I think he's going to be a solid player by the time he leaves Tennessee. I think that was just an awful situation to put him out there because the way they were attacking Fulkerson, did you not think they were going to do that to Pember? I mean, it was the, right. I, I'll be honest, Grant, that one, that one baffled me a little bit. And I don't know if that was a foul situation or, or Springer not being there that messed up some of the rotations, but that would not have been, I would have given Olivia Cumwa those minutes if he had to. I, I didn't get that. No, I mean, the only thing I could come up sitting sitting there watching the game at the time, I think Jaden was out by then. Uh, Eve had two fouls. And I think maybe Santi had two fouls by then. So that's three guys out of your rotation, but I agree. I don't I don't know why. Uh, Olivier, you know, he's, he's up and down. You never really know what you're going to get, but the upside that he's shown in some of his minutes, like what he did against USC Upstate, he had a couple uh, decent possessions against Alabama in the first half when he did get some minutes. I think I don't – I don't know, until we talked to Rick again, it wasn't addressed post game what was going on. Drew Pember's minutes, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, that wasn't a long. That wasn't a long press conference. <laughs> no, I don't think you'd have the true answer until we talked to him again because, I mean, Drew Pember, it's 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 generous during mop up time when he gets minutes, let alone in the first half of the game where and I like you're really him. struggling. I right. do, I do like him. I think he's a guy who you know Bobby Mays likes him a lot, and I trust what Bobby Mays thinks about a lot of these guys. Um, but but beyond that, you can see we saw last year in practice he can stretch you out, he can hit shots, he's got touch. There are things he can do. I don't know that a Bama or even an Arkansas coming up is maybe maybe the best time. Although Arkansas has got the seven foot three Pember out there, you know, <laughs> chucking threes. So I mean, you know, may, maybe maybe that is a time you could put him out there some. But that's kind of a segue to the last thing I want to talk about, Grant, which is Arkansas. And and for people who have not watched Arkansas play this season, the Hogs are must see television. If you like college basketball, if you like fast paced basketball, if you like teams putting the ball in the bucket, you will really like watching Arkansas play unless they're playing your team. Because those guys, I'm not kidding when I say they will shoot a layup or a dunk or a three pointer, and that's what they're going to do. And they will pull up and shoot from anywhere. You know, they shoot, uh, I think it's only like 28, 29 threes a game. I say only 28 or 29 threes a game. But, you know, Alabama shot like 32 a game and 37 in one of its games. So it's maybe not quite as many um, threes, but still a ton of threes. And they will pull up and shoot from anywhere at any time, at any point in the shot clock. And I'll tell you, after watching film of Tennessee, if I'm Arkansas, I'm, I'm feeling like, hey, I'm getting these guys at a good time. Uh, unless it's the worst time because they're going to clean all this stuff up before they play us. But if I'm Arkansas, I'm thinking, man, I can spread these guys out. I can shoot the ball over that length because I'll shoot from 32 feet and not care. Um, but I, I think this is a really, really interesting matchup for Tennessee because Arkansas hadn't played a great schedule, but I've seen him play a handful of times, and I'm telling you, they're fun to watch. And it comes at, I mean, it comes at a bad time for Tennessee because you're coming off a game uh, against Alabama playing the way you did and the way Alabama beat you like it did. But it's also a good opportunity for Tennessee to show if this is a bigger problem or if it was just a one game uh, played poorly against Alabama and, and you kind of took one on the chin there. I mean, 
what what you come away from Alabama, the loss is thinking they got to guard the three three point line better and they got to make more shots. Uh, they're going to have to guard the three-point line a lot better against Arkansas. You can't get it in a 10-, 12-point hole uh, like you did against Alabama in the second half, and you're going to have to consistently make shots. That means finishing at the rim, not having those shots roll off the rim like they did so much in the first half Saturday, and you're going to have to shoot better from three. I mean, Tennessee didn't have to rely on the three-point line a ton at Missouri. I think they were four or five for seven, something like that. Uh, and then they shoot 19% against Alabama from the three-point line in a game where you had opportunities to make open threes, uh, and you didn't make them. So Arkansas, they're going to score points. Uh, I think they're 36th uh, in a adjusted offensive efficiency numbers on Ken Pump. So they're going to they're yeah. going to have some yeah, offensive they, I, success. Yeah, I think it's I think it's 89 a game they score. Right, you're gonna you're gonna want to slow them down, obviously, and not let them get near 80 points. But even so, if you hold them to 70 points, you're going to have to score your share uh, your share on the offensive end uh, to match them. You're going to have to make shots. You're going to have to do it consistently. And I got bad news, Tennessee fans. When you look at this, Moses Moody for Arkansas, 42% three-point shooter. Desi Sills from Arkansas, 37.5% three-point shooter. Jalen Tate from Arkansas, 36.4% three-point shooter. Devontae Davis, 50% three-point shooter. Kalen Robinson, 41.7% three-point shooter. They're, they've got some guys, some high-volume guys who are bringing the average down a little bit. They're shooting about 34% as a team. Um, but they've got some bombers, and, and they – absolutely will go shoot it. Connor Vanover is a kid who is just unbelievably tall and gangly and hilarious looking. Um, but this kid can absolutely chuck it, and he will. He'll shoot from anywhere despite being as tall as he is. So, I, I mean, I, I think this is a really interesting game for Tennessee because I'd like to have Springer for this game, um, but it, it may not happen, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll probably know more about that Tuesday, to be honest. But uh, it's an interesting time, and I think it's – you know, uh, I don't think anybody should be panicking, Grant, but um, that game should have gotten people's attention over the weekend. I, I, I would hope that it got the, the attention of Tennessee's players. Josiah Jordan-James told us after the game that it was sort of humbling and, and a learning lesson, and, and, right. and it better be. Yeah, I'm sure it's – this group is um, – there's some veterans, but there's also a lot of inexperience. Jaden Springer, Keon Johnson, Victor Bailey, um, you can kind of go down the list. They haven't really had the experience of going through the SEC schedule. They haven't had the – you know, there is a chance to be humbled, especially when you're 7-0 and and, and people are praising you. And, and Tennessee had made it look easy up to that point. So I think it's uh, – you understand why maybe they did need that humbly. I don't, I don't think it really got to their head. But maybe you, when you have that kind of success, you think it's going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Uh, and there's, there's stretches over the last few years. That 17-18 team, they started uh, the SEC schedule 0-2. They lost at Arkansas, then they lost Auburn. And the third game they had on schedule was Kentucky. And it felt like the sky was falling and everything was over. And, and then they go and split a SEC regular season title and go to the SEC tournament game. I think they're a number three seed in the tournament. I mean, there's there's those kind of losses on a basketball schedule. It's just kind of the way of life. It's just a matter of how do you answer those losses? Uh, how long do these spells last? Or, or can you play your way out of them and prove that you're probably a lot closer to the elite team that you've shown opposed to how poorly you played at times against Alabama? I think that's a good place to leave it. Although I don't know why I'm asking you this, Grant, but do you have anything else? What did you say the kid's name was from Arkansas? Uh, is it Moses Moody? Yeah. So he could throw it in the uh, the ocean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they... Moses, Moses, throw it in the, the sea? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mm-hmm. got it. I I'm got muting it. myself. I thought you were going to make a Connor Vanover joke there, but uh, no, you uh, you went with, uh, with Moses. You went biblical. I like that. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And you know what? Guys, if I could find the button, I'm going to thank y'all for listening. Thank you, as always. We say it all the time, but we really do mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. 
Uh, we do appreciate it. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you want Just Tennessee news, nothing else, you can go get that at twitter.com slash govols 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govols 24-7, which is not all Vols all the time, uh, but mostly Tennessee stuff. Think Things that we think Tennessee fans would be interested in by and large. Let's say that. We'll say that. And if you want just the best, most delicious East Tennessee Mountain, Smoky Mountain spring water just right from the tap, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for Tennessee athletics coverage is GoVols247.com. We are there 24-7. That we, we call ourselves that for a reason. And you get so much ridiculousness, so much good stuff for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. You get access uh, and news on Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, uh, where Vitello and those guys are doing some some really good things. You also get Lady Balls coverage from Maria Cornelius around the clock. And we have two forums that are open 24-7. We got the Summit uh, for a lot of women's sports coverage and stuff, and we've got the Checkerboard uh, for, for Tennessee men's coverage. All kinds of stuff on there. Uh, we're kind of socially distanced right now. We're still kind of fighting, obviously, this COVID thing. Uh, and if you if you still just need a place to commiserate, you want that kind of water cooler experience that you're missing right now, you can get that at GoVols247.com. we got thousands of Tennessee fans from all across the world. Somebody's there all the time to talk to you, all kinds of good stuff. And you get all of that for the low, low price of less than one freaking mediocre lunch per month. And if you pay us full price already, you get access in perpetuity to CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming platform, which is every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. New movies every single month coming in and out of there. All kinds of good stuff that the wife and I have been watching lately. You've also got live sports, Tennessee sports. you got Vols football, Vols basketball, NCAA tournament, March Madness, SEC football, NFL football, UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, World Series of Poker stuff, exclusive podcast stuff. And on top of that, if that weren't enough, and, and it really is, but if that weren't enough, you also get access to a ton of stuff from the vaults of Comedy Central, from MTV, from BET, and for the kids, for Nickelodeon and Smithsonian. That's a $100 plus annual value that we will give you for freaking nothing. For nothing. If you are a member full-paying member of GoVols 24-7. It's one of the best deals out there. You really should take advantage of it. If you forgot somebody for Christmas, make it up to them now. Get them a subscription to GoVols 24-7. It's like this podcast, but all the time, all the time. No reason not to do it. Uh, if there's no big breaking news, guys, you should hear from us by Thursday. Uh, maybe something will happen before then. Kind of doubt it, but uh, you never know. This is Tennessee, so you should hear from us by Thursday. Before then, wash your freaking hands, wear your freaking masks, be freaking nice to each other, and let's get through this together. We can do this, and we will do this. See y'all. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.